Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Square One. A podcast where we take our guests back to square one, where they first started their business, so that you can learn from their successes and failures. Brought to you by Isaiah and Malcolm with Omni Home Services. Welcome back to the Square One Podcast. Today we have Todd Stancil with us. Todd is a personal friend of mine, but Todd is also probably the most well-known, highest-producing, super networking commercial banker in Chattanooga. Todd works with the sixth largest bank in America, and his goal is to produce at least $30 million of loans per year. So if you want some money advice, we got the guy today. Welcome, Todd. Hey, thank you, Malcolm. Um, Appreciate the introduction. Obviously, your listeners and anybody who's involved in the banking industry in Chattanooga will know that you like to embellish things a little bit. So, <laughs> But it is an honor to be here with you and reconnect and catch up. Todd, we just like to jump straight to it. And a morning routine or any routine is great for us. Hit us with your successful morning routine. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, most things in life happen when consistency occurs. And for me, I'm not always as consistent as I would like to be, but when I'm having a very successful routine in the mornings, I usually get up about 4.30 in the morning. I have about a 30-minute prayer Bible study time for my daily devotional, and then I try to hit the gym by 5.30, uh, get in some lifting and some cardio. By 7 o'clock, I'm hitting the showers, and before 8, I'm back in the office. Now, that's when things are going well. Now, when I'm not as successful and I'm being lazy, it's uh, roll out of the bed, hit the alarm clock, hit the shower, and get into the office as fast as I can and try to do what I can uh, while I'm still trying to wake up. So when things are going well, I will tell you this, uh, it makes it easier because I'm wide awake. I've already got the heart pumping. I've already had the things that I need in the morning to get started. But one of the things that I find with work is I have to do the ugly first. And what I mean by that is all of us in our jobs have things that are more fun to do than others. And so my ugly are the things that aren't fun to do. So whether that's cranking out emails, problem resolution, being involved in underwriting or things that I don't enjoy as much as other things, uh, I try to knock those out first because it gives me a sense of accomplishment. It says, all right, you've already done some hard things today. Now let's go do the things you enjoy do, which is build relationships you know, capitalize on those uh, meetings that you've got set up from the week prior. Those are the things that I enjoy the most. Love that. There's a book called Eat That Frog. I think it's by Dan Kennedy that uh, goes over that in Lent. So I love that. Well, tell us, you say you're least successful when you wake up last minute. I think that's obvious for all of us, but how do you prevent that from happening? It's planning. For me, everything in life is planning. The more organized I am, the more planned I am, the more prepared I am, the easier it is to have that successful morning. So you're saying you can only take a little bit of the Chattanooga whiskey with you <laughs> the night before. That's planning. Well, yeah, that, that's usually for the weekends. Well, we're going to have to toughen <laughs> you up, bud. So we talk about failures. Tell us uh, about one of your biggest failures in just your career, your business career. Yeah, obviously, you know, I, I was just sharing with you guys a little bit before that we've had a reduction in force throughout the company this week due to earnings and, and an efficiency play that we've done. So fortunately, I was able to be retained by the company. But there have been other times in my career where I have been displaced. You know, that's been a challenging time. You go from being, you know, very successful and doing things the way the company needs you to do it in order to retain your job to being unemployed. And so it causes a lot of questions, at least it did for me. 
And it's hard not to take personally, but it did cause some deep introspection for me in asking questions like, you know, uh, what do I really enjoy doing? What is it that I don't enjoy doing? You know, where could I have done a better job for this company? And maybe what do I need to do personally and professionally to improve on in the future so that I don't have to go through that again? So just a few of those questions and grappling with all of those gave me a renewed sense of purpose and motivation. Losing a job is, I mean, that's a huge event in anyone's life, and that can be really difficult to deal with, right? So I guess one thing I think about when you're in that stage of having just lost a job, do you notice that you tend to maybe take a step back, take a few moments and get yourself together back from like a time perspective? Or when that happens, do you just go right back on the grind and start looking for the next role from there? Well, it depends. Uh, I've only had this occur twice in my career. Once I had a eight month uh, severance package. And so for the first two months, I enjoyed golf, working out, staying up late. I want that. Let me get movies. on that one. <laughs> so there was no grind. It was just catching up on some fun because the job that I had, I'd been working 60, 70 hours a week. So this was a chance for a little two months vacation. But then after that, you had to hit the grind because that money does run out. The other time it was immediately hitting the grind. It was like, you know, what am I going to do here? Uh, there's that overwhelming sense of grief. I think I went through the five stages of grief and I felt that immediate loss. I felt that worry. I felt anger, just the whole gambit of emotions that one goes through. And so I'll give God the glory. He's always provided more than I deserve and put me in better situations than my last opportunity. So for me, uh, it was an opportunity through that grind, through prayer, through other things, came out blessed. I love it, Todd. I think when we learn from our failures, you're really saying that you ask yourself, like, how can I prove value to this company? So, you know, what seems like easy shit to me right now and you, but maybe the rest of the world doesn't understand, like you have to bring value. And if you're going to work somewhere and you don't bring value, your ass is on the chopping block when that time comes. And you said, we live in a world, even the like top level executives, they can even bring value and their head could still roll. So really bring value to, um, to what you do. I like that. Thank you. Um, talk to us about money. So you are a banker. You deal with a lot of money. How can I have some? How can I just like get it for, for <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So if somebody's starting out with a new business or maybe they've been in business for a while and we all know that it takes money, right? If we came to you and said, Todd, give me some money, bro. What are you going to say? Well, again, you hit two different scenarios there. One is if you're a startup and you come to me, there's not going to be a lot I can do for you, even on the small business side. Uh, but if I'm working with someone who's a startup, there's two recommendations I'm going to make right off the bat. Number one, let's talk about either venture capital. Do you know some people who are willing to put some hard money into your situation so that they can give you a platform to springboard to launch into what it is that you're trying to do? And if that doesn't work, then the Small Business Administration, USBA, is always an option for startups. And they are willing to do some of the blue sky where you don't have assets, you don't have collateral, your balance sheet doesn't reflect the things that a typical bank would look for. And they're going to be able to take more risk. And so an SBA program is a good option for 
uh, startup companies, they tend to have a longer term than what a bank would usually do. You can go 25 years financing on that. For hard money? Uh, not for venture capitalists, but for USBA. Got you. Yeah, venture capitalists is going to vary. So let's stick on that for just a second. And you're talking about this would be new people, new businesses. That sounds expensive. What kind of rates are we going to be expecting for hard money? Yeah, they're going to vary. Um, obviously, you're going to be paying a lot more because there's a lot more risk than what you would normally pay with a traditional conventional bank loan. Right now, in this current environment, I'll tell you, most banks are building their uh, rates off of SOFR. Standard overnight funds rate is what SOFR stands for. Uh, but typically right now we're doing 30-day SOFRs plus 2% or more. And so that would put you right now somewhere in that mid-7 to low-8 range, depending on the daily SOFR change. It's kind of like Wall Street Journal Prime is the other uh, measurement that banks use to decide on, on lending. But uh, So what's the difference between SOFR and Prime? Wall Street Journal Prime is just one method that they use. SOFR has come in to replace uh, LIBOR. Uh, LIBOR has gone away, and that was sort of an English way of making a loan, creating a standard uh, lending thing. But So the only difference is it's just one's a little different in the number than the other. It's just two different ways of doing it. It's kind of like saying uh, I've got a pencil and a pen. They are both writing objects, but they both come at things a little differently. So it's hard to explain. Isaiah, I have no idea what the hell this guy's talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I'm looking at your face, I'm going, yeah, that wasn't a good explanation. No, no, no. Terms, uh, you know, regardless of terms, if you're starting out, you just say the better way to go is have a solid plan, take it to a venture capitalist or somebody. I guess we could just Google like how to get hard money. Those rates are actually pretty good. So let's talk about somebody that's been in business for a couple of years. Maybe they're doing good or kind of just like what numbers, uh, I mean, obviously, the bank's going to want to see profits, but like how much time are we going to need to see that? A lot of people, and we'll go down this road too, that a lot of people say, hey, I want to cook my books to not pay taxes. Right. And they can do that to some extent, but then they come to you and you're like, hey, you're not making any money. So there's got to be a line of you're making some money. So here's a loan to grow. Tell us what that's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I tell all of my customers, you know, you can either not pay Uncle Sam and not get a loan, or you can pay <laughs> Uncle Sam and get a loan. That's so, uh, bottom line, at the end of the day, profitability matters. And if your company's not profitable, a bank doesn't really want to lend to you. And so at the end of the day, the basic most important features are going to be cash flow. And so most banks are going to set out at a 125 cash flow. And what I mean by that is 1.25 times the amount of income coming in as there is debt going out. And so as long as you can maintain a 125 or higher, that's going to be appealing from a cash flow perspective. Let's dumb that down for dummies like me, okay? If you bring in, let's use an arbitrary number of $100,000, explain that for us a little better. Yeah, so basically if you have 100000 coming in as your total revenue, your bottom line number after expenses and everything is going to have to come out at 1.25 times. So basically, uh, you know, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but if we do simple math on 125, so somewhere around 50000 to 75,000 in expenses for your 100,000. So, well, no, it's actually going to be closer to 40 or 45,000, I think, in expenses to that 100,000 of revenue coming in. 
So they're going to want to see like 40, 45% net profit rates. Is that? It's not just based off profit because it's going to be based on expenses going out. So it's all of your cash flow. And so you can increase cash flow in all kinds of different ways. So it's not as simple as what I'm trying to tell you as far as what's coming in versus what's going out, because there's more to it than that. But if I'm oversimplifying it, that would be the most convenient way to explain it. So you got to have a positive cash flow. <laughs> got to have positive cash flow. You got to have more money coming in than you do going out. Um, now that can sometimes be mitigated based on additional collateral that a bank can take. So if you have additional assets on your balance sheet, they can sometimes mitigate cash flow deficiencies by taking additional collateral. But that is sometimes. Most credit officers don't like to do that. And in the economic environment we're in today, they really don't like to do that. So they want to see that you can pay the money back. So you're talking about like a HELOC or something similar? Well, not a HELOC. When I'm talking about assets, let's say you've got a line of credit based on your accounts receivable. And so now we're having a deficiency because your aging is taking longer to collect your receivables. So instead of a 30 to 45 day turn time, you're getting a 75 to 90 day turn time. So your cash flow has shrunk. Well, you own your building free and clear. So I might say, well, let's take the building uh, free and clear, put a loan on that to offset the deficiency in the line of credit. So if you could give us some advice for maybe a new customer that's not going to be necessarily a fit for your business, but they're looking for some more resources, where would you point that person in that direction? That's a good question. And truthfully, you know, I think Malcolm hit it a little earlier when he talked about developing a business plan. You know, if you're kind of new in business, you're a small business, they're going to want to see a pretty extensive business plan on how you plan to accomplish what it is you plan to accomplish. But if you've got a couple of years under your belt, then get with someone, get with your accountant, get with someone to help you develop a good personal financial statement. Most banks are going to require you to use their blank personal financial statement. It's just a matter of filling in what your assets are so they can come up with your total net worth. And then the third thing I would say is really make sure you've got a good accountant who's got your tax situation in order because they're going to want to see two to three years of personal and business tax returns. And so I would highly recommend that you're already working with an accountant because they're going to want to keep your tax situation in a way that shows profitability. <laughs> I think to answer that question too, Isaiah, you know, we are in a world now that people have entitlements and some of those entitlements is that I just deserve this. Well, venture capitalists, hard money, the bank, they're not in the business of not making money. So when you're going to somebody that is going to give you money, except, you know, maybe daddy or mommy, they give you that money, but you got to have a solid plan right. and, you know, show, hey, this is my idea. Will you loan it to me? So a great plan is a great idea, Todd. I want to play out a scenario. You have had a lot of experience in the realm of dealing with business people that might be really good at what they do, but maybe not the best at managing money from that point, right? So they know how to make money. They don't know what to do with it after that. Let's say that I'm a entrepreneur. I've had my business going for several years now. We've just had a year where we turned a couple hundred thousand dollar profit. Now, me being a younger guy, one of the first things that I think of is, man, we've made Go some money. Boat, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I guess that's one thing I'd be kind of interested to hear about. What would be your advice in that situation? I've got some extra money to play around with. What do we do with it now? I think there's three important relationships that every business owner needs to have. 
a great banker that they trust because to me there's only a few people in life that you really make yourself very vulnerable to. That's going to be your doctor. You know, if you're a person of faith, that's going to be your minister, priest, rabbi, whatever. And then who handles my money is number three. And so my banker, my CPA would be the second relationship I would tell you about in that. And then thirdly is a wealth advisor. Who's going to help me grow my wealth? Because at the end of the day, if I'm starting off young, I want to retire when I'm in my mid-50s. And I want to have kids or somebody that I can have succession planning to you know, hand my business off to so that I'm creating generational wealth. It's not just about buying a boat. And so for me, I think you got to have a banker who's going to say, hold up, you had a great profit. Now let's talk about what we're going to reinvest back into the company. What can we put aside for you to continue to grow that wealth? And then make sure your CPA is giving you all the deductions that you can so you're not paying Uncle Sam. Nice. That's a great question, Isaiah. And I think that's the best answer is, you know, there's not really an answer very specifically. The answer is somebody. You got to have somebody that's going to help because who knows where you're at, you know, in your business or your life. Hell, I'd tell you to buy a boat. You know, but uh, it does depend on where you're at in life and business that, you know, maybe you do need to reinvest it in your company, like you said. So thank you for that, Todd. But well, I got a couple of just questions for you, Todd. Advice for marketing a business. Tell our listeners what kind of advice you would have for them, because marketing is, well, how your business functions, how it gets the phone ringing. But give us some advice on marketing. You know, it depends on the industry, because uh, obviously some industries are much more relationship driven, some are more media driven or advertisement driven. But at the end of the day, marketing is about creating your brand. Who are you? You know, who who is the public going to know me as? And so for me, putting forth a brand that demonstrates excellence and what I bring to the market is one of the most important things that I think successful businesses do. And that's whether it's publishing high quality content through social media, print, or other electronic means. Probably the most important thing you do is understanding your target audience. I mean, if you take a shotgun approach, you're probably not going to hit very much. But if you can get very specific in your target audience and what their needs are, then you can somehow convey the message that my services will do this for you and accomplish that goal. And it goes back to what you said earlier, Mal, bringing value. How do I convey my value proposition, uh, what I call my unique selling proposition, to the target audience that I'm trying to reach? And then thirdly, work with influencers. Find people who have a voice in that particular audience that you're trying to reach, somebody who can influence the buyer to uh, make an introduction to you as the seller and then know how to network properly. You got to get your foot in the door. And so building those relationships with people who can help you are critical, but also having influence or relationships that hold you accountable and can pick you up when you're down. Because let's face it, being a business owner, you're not always up. That's good. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> I mean, if you have a product or a service that, you know, fills a void, that's really the biggest thing you need. My coach has always told me a very good thing is when you're marketing anything, you got to present the problem, you got to agitate it and then solve it. Like, let's say uh, landscaping or, you know, mowing a yard. You don't want to mow your yard. That's the problem, right? right? And then agitation would be, it's hot. There's bugs out there. You could be making more money doing other stuff. And the solve would be, we'll do it for you. So um, one of the questions that we love to ask is, what is somebody that's going to go into your industry, which 
can be very lucrative. What is something that you could tell somebody that's getting into it, whether that's their dream or not, but somebody that's going to work for the bank, what's an immediate thing they can do to create a positive return on their investment? Yeah, you know, Malcolm, there was a time when people used to ask me, younger guys coming out of college and gals, uh, say, hey, you know, what about a career in banking? And there was a time I would say the old saying that there's no such thing as a poor old banker and there's no such thing as a rich young banker. Uh, now that saying doesn't hold true. You can be old and poor in banking. And so you can be rich and young in banking because uh, some of the better minds that I've seen in banking right now in, in the Chattanooga market are very young guys and I'm very impressed with them. Uh, but as far as immediate goes uh, for a return on investment, if you're going to get in, truly the way to make money in banking is on the commercial side. You're dealing with the bigger um, industries and, and businesses in the market in which you serve. So I would say, number one, it goes back to what we said in marketing, build good relationships. Uh, know how to connect with people. Know how to network. Banking is a relationship business. We like to think it's a numbers business, but it's not. I mean, at the end of the day, the numbers will take care of themselves through tax returns, through personal financial statements, and things of that nature. What matters is do you trust somebody? Thank you for being the commercial expert there and guiding us down that road. But tell us more specifically, and I'm reading your thing here about relationships, relationships, connecting. How would you advise a younger person or older if they're getting into it, like a very specific strategic, is a networking event, is it coffee, golf, bourbon, boats? What is it that you have found that you can, <laughs> I was like, boat again. So what, what event or what social activity have you found to be the most prominent to build that or at least start that relationship? Yeah, all the above, unfortunately, Malcolm. It's not something – this one, when it comes to building networking uh, connections, it's more of a shotgun approach. And the problem is is that you have so many networking events and groups that you can go to all of them, and the overwhelming majority can be unsuccessful. And so I do think that you need to find a good networking group that basically has some accountability in it. And the one that's been very productive for me as a commercial lender in Chattanooga has been, you know, Business Networking International. I've had great success through that, built some incredible relationships through that. A lot of other uh, networking events that I've been to, and I won't name names in Chattanooga, have been very unsuccessful. Where it's basically handing a card, shaking a hand, and you never talk to that person again. But the ones that get deeper are the ones that I have built on the golf course, you know, where I played golf with the guys. And during those four hours, they've opened up and shared some nuggets with me, some diamonds that I could capitalize on to dig deeper into those relationships or cultivate them as a center of influence for me to make a connection to four other people that I've been dying to meet in my prospecting efforts. So I do think you've got to bring that personal time into it. It's a sacrifice. I've got a question on that note. So for someone that is new, or maybe they're even not new, and they are looking at getting in the realm of finding a banker, reality is that you can do a quick Google search and there's going to land you a thousand people that could be your potential banker. One question that I have for you is if you gave some advice to that person, what would you tell them to look for in a good banker, uh, someone that's really going to be able to steer them in the right direction moving forward? I think it's experience. There's no such thing as an expert banker who doesn't have experience. 
I would want somebody who's been in the market for a while, who has the relationships necessary in the market to connect them with the other people in the market, because good bankers can recommend a good accountant for you, good attorney for you. Uh, so experience, there's no substitute for that. All right, Todd, I can't let us get out of here without mentioning this. I know that you are a uh, big Alabama guy. Uh, let's rephrase it. <laughs> From the state of Alabama, you notice I've got orange and blue on here. I'm a big Auburn guy. There we go. So I know that you played some baseball, and I think that there's a lot of lessons that people can pull from sports, uh, what that may be. I'm interested to hear what lesson going from playing baseball have you carried up till this day with you? Well, several things. Obviously, baseball is a team sport, so you don't succeed on your own. Everybody's got a role to play, and so you have to excel in your role, do your job because your teammates are counting on you to do your job. And if you do your job, you can hold the rest of your team accountable to do their job. So there's an accountability aspect. There's a performance aspect. But at the end of the day, it goes back to those relationships. I mean, the thing that I learned in team sports is I need everybody on that team to be successful. And that's true in business. I mean, if I go into the bank, I can't be successful without my loan assistant. I can't be successful without my credit team. So, most things in life, I think, go back to good, healthy, solid relationships and learn that very specifically through playing sports. Awesome. So as we like to ask one of our staple questions, Todd, let's rewind the clock a little bit and you just finished playing baseball. You realize that you're not making the pro level leagues. You know that you got to get a real job. <laughs> Damn it. Nightmare. <laughs> what do you tell your younger self to propel you on a path of success? Yeah, it's the same thing I learned in baseball, though. It goes back to Isaiah's question. It's about discipline. And it's about things that I've learned along the way, um, a couple of books even, that I read, The Four Disciplines of Execution by uh, Sean Covey and Chris McChesney. You know, you can't just focus on the goal, but your goal has to be something bigger than yourself. And one of the things they say is focus on the wildly important. So what do you want to be? Didn't know that I really wanted to be a banker, but after 20-something years in it, I guess I'm a banker. And so focusing on the wildly important for me every day meant, what's the one or two things I can do every day that are going to make me successful? And it kind of goes with the book Atomic Habits, too, where he's talking about it's easy to focus on the results, but it's the systems, it's the process that leads to those results. I was never going to bat you know, 600. I was never going to bat 350 even in college. But every day taking that batting practice uh, made it more likely that I was going to get closer to that number. Lee Trevino in golf always said, you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. And so I think that discipline and executing on those small little things that you know you can do every single day will lead to those results. And so um, doing the one or two things every single day that are going to make the difference, um, focusing on the process, not the results. I love it, Todd. Well, man, uh, thank you very much for your time, sir. We appreciate you coming in. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Square One Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Omni Home Services, where we rep Chattanooga Home Inspector, Nuclear Pest Control, Elevate Home Staging and Design, and Radon Eraser. We release a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.